Hello, and welcome to the Original Content Podcast. I'm Anthony Ha. I'm Jordan Crook. And I'm Daryl Etherington. Every week, we review a new streaming show or movie. This week, it's going to be The White Lotus on HBO Max, which is, I feel like, kind of the first show in a long time that there's been this kind of big online buzz about it where like there's just articles every week and speculation and think pieces and and it, it feels like it's been a while since since I've like just seen so many people talking about a single show has that been the experience for you guys yeah but it also came out of nowhere like all of a sudden there were all these but I had no there was like no hype for the show at all and then all of a sudden it was there and people were like paying close attention to it and I was it was still kind of peripheral for me I it didn't win front and front, front and center for me but maybe it's just that I'm not paying as much attention to the entertainment press as I kind of used to. But like, yeah, it's definitely there. And then people I know are talking about it and suggesting, oh, you got to watch this, which is also something that hasn't happened in a while. Like a bunch of people to suggest all that for something that's airing currently. So, yeah, it's definitely buzzy. And it was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, I mean, I... I... So, like, I am an HBO loyalist. Like, I didn't leave after Game of Thrones like a lot of people did and have kept kind of, like, watching a lot of that content. And, um, yeah, I feel like White Lotus is maybe a... White Lotus is this, like, limited series that's generating a lot of conversation. I also think that the delay in succession Mm -hmm. has kind of punched HBO in the gut and that will revitalize what we have going on in HBO Max world. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's a lot. And I just, spoiler alert for the audience about this episode of Original Content, I have not seen the last episode of White Lotus. And so I've been like really purposefully avoiding all of the White Lotus stuff. In fact, I saw a meme on Instagram last night that upset me. I don't know exactly what it means because I don't get the reference, but it was more information than I needed. So um, these guys know what's going on, but I don't. And so I've, I've seen a lot of buzz and I've had to work actively to avoid it. Yeah, stay away. I, I sort of brought that up because I think it, it, to me, it's been a reminder of just, although there's been new content, like it feels like because of you know the pause last year, um, in, in production and things slowly starting up again. It's just like the, having a big buzzy show was a reminder to me like, oh, we just like that hasn't happened in a while. And, and I'm excited that it that it's happening again. Um, and it's, it's interesting, Jordan, that you talk about this in the context of succession, too, because I've also seen that comparison a lot. Um, right. The, the conceit of the show is that um, partly for practical reasons that wanted to, to make a show where it could be a limited cast essentially one location that could be kind of isolated and safe. And so it takes place at a resort in Hawaii called the White Lotus. And it focuses on the staff of the resort and all these really horrible rich people, mostly white uh, rich people coming in and, um, you know, sort of their own personal drama, how they interact with the staff. But people sort of talk about it as like, oh, it's another show where white rich people are just horrible and we just eat it up. And I think that's mostly fair, but that doesn't necessarily take away from the show itself. Yeah. 
I mean, I think that, so my likening it to succession was really, a, what you said is all correct, but the reason I brought it up was just because I think succession takes over for Game of Thrones in a lot of ways, which they have almost nothing in common, right? But just as like right. HBO's headline show, right? That like the world is kind of mobilized around. Um, I don't think White Lotus is quite there yet, but you, you bring up a good point about the fact that it is a bunch of rich white people again. I think the the key difference that I see with Succession and White Lotus is that Succession feels like it really fits in a box, like not a cumbersome box that is like, we are one thing, but it is a dramedy, right? Like, and it it's like probably 60 part, 60% drama, 40% comedy, and the comedy hits hard enough to kind of like lighten a lot of intensity. This felt very confusing to me in terms of like what it is, right? Which wasn't hmm. a bad thing necessarily. Like you can't put your finger on it, but it hits the spot, you know, like that's the way I would describe it where it's really kind of intense and like got some real thriller, like suspense vibes. It's very funny, but in a way that is super tense and awkward. There's obviously some drama and moments where you're like, oh, you know, like I really feel for someone or something. Um, and it just like was a very confusing, it's hard as someone who loves TV and feels like the need to meticulously organize in my mind. It was really hard for me to figure out what bucket White Lotus goes in. Did you guys experience that? Yeah, I mean, I kind of thought when I, I at first I kind of thought it was going to be maybe like a... Um, just from the very first episode, I, I thought it would be like a weird sort of like murder mystery, kind of like, um, you know, the Daniel Craig thing or whatever. Um, but it wasn't that at all. And then it ended up being, I, I didn't really kind of like think, feel confused about what it was. I thought it was just like a very, um, like harsh sort of like critical, uh, comedy right like dark comedy and that was kind of like my read of it the whole way through and i was curious about everybody's read of it because i kind of and i haven't really read a lot of the criticism the criticism that it's about rich that it's like another show about rich white people is valid in one way but also entirely the point in another way and i think why the show is so successful like to me, I've not seen one. I've never seen a show. I think Succession is one where it um, revels in it. It's like, look at these white people and their ridiculous problems and whatever. This is a show where it's like, if you're if you're watching it, I think if you're paying attention, the show is all about like, yeah, it is these people, but that's the whole point is how horrible that is, and also there's a lot out there's a lot more going on and yeah it's peripheral but if you're not really paying attention to it that's probably on you rather than the show uh and it's kind of the whole point but i don't i haven't seen his kind of pr presentation of it so i don't even know because to me the whole thing is like a very political show that in in that it's like social political like hey this is extreme social criticism the entire way through and there's basically nothing else to it except like there's this there it's like an entertaining structure built around it but that's the whole point now i don't know if that's incidental or if that's like that's my reading of it or that's what he intended to bring to it but to me the whole thing 
uh, Mike White, the writer, right? The producer, creator. But to me, the whole thing is just social political commentary about class divides. And there's, and then it's like packaged in this way that is like funny in a dark, um, cynical manner, right? Certainly, I, I don't necessarily care that much about the murder mystery aspect of it. So the show opens, the very first scene is kind of this flash forward where we see the end of the trip and there is a, um, a, bo- a big, you know, essentially a coffin, but really just a box marked human remains being loaded onto the plane. So we know somebody is going to die um, in the course of the show. And so part of what's pulling you through is running, oh, who's, who's going to die? Um, but to me, that... I mean, I was curious, but that was one of the less interesting aspects of it, that it is, like you said, much more of this really dark social comedy, and which I sometimes have a resistance to in the sense that I don't like any kind of storytelling where you kind of stand outside the characters and you feel superior to them, and you're like, oh, these people are so awful, and I could never be this bad, but... I think what makes it work for me is that there's just enough empathy and humanity that they do have complexity and depth and you recognize them as, for the most part, pretty terrible people or, in some cases, sympathetic people who still do some pretty terrible things. Yeah, they good, they do a good job of setting up enough that you can feel, you can identify with them and feel like some characters are analogs and then also they're complicit. In your, so it's not like you get to stand aside completely and be like, wow, glad I'm not these people. Like they don't allow you that escape, which I think is one of the strengths of the show overall. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I do think, I mean, in terms of the sort of white people behaving badly criticism of the show, like I agree that is absolutely the point of the show. I could imagine an alternate version of this, that one of the things that he does in the show, because this is all written and directed by Mike White, is um, he is is he does have Native Hawaiian characters, but they tend to be there only kind of fleetingly. Like in the first episode, there there's a sort of staff member, a new staff member who we see, and then there, there's other members of the staff that Native Hawaiian members of the staff who play a role in the plot, but they tend to be there and then disappear. And I do think. There's an argument to be made that the show would be more powerful and I think its politics would be, I guess its political message would be stronger if, if it really put more of a spotlight on those native characters instead of treating them as kind of side characters. Because they do, there is that sort of upstairs, downstairs vibe to the show um, yeah. where some of the staff members are major characters, but really those are not the the native characters. And so people talk about the incredible injustice of the simple existence of this resort and how it's displaced uh, native residents, but it's very abstract and you don't actually get to know people or really see the impact of some of the, both the broader political actions and economic actions, and then also just the fucked up ways in which some of our main characters behave. Well, and that like upstairs downstairs vibe applies to some of the guests too, right? Like there, it's not um, like we're not talking about a cast of guest characters that are exclusively privileged, or at least it feels that way sometimes. Um, and I agree with you, Anthony, that it would be more powerful than to have, let's say, like 
um, lower middle class white woman who's married a very upper class white man staying in a honeymoon suite is maybe not quite it, it has its own layer of social criticism that is interesting and very cringy to watch. I think that was some, some of the m more uncomfortable bits um, for me to watch. But, you know, I think that would be much more powerfully done if it looked at the, the plot line that you just described, right? In terms of, like, some of the native Hawaiians and not just, like, brushed, brushed those topics, but actually tackled them. I think the problem... I mean, I think for me, like I spread that as intentional also, and was kind of like it all. It's it's it has to do with the perspective of the storytelling, and like, and and it also has to do with what Jordan was talking about because I think that stratification is presented as genuine within the guest hierarchy, but then it's obliterated by the time the show's done, and you're like, oh, wait a minute none of that mattered that's a fictional stratification and the real one was over here and the omission is like uh, without giving anything away some of the omissions of those people's stories is clearly the whole point and if they if they went aside and told it it would be like it would be a pass for the audience like oh i can i can enjoy their perspective as well while still kind of like getting away with my shittiness and so i think that reserving it is actually intentional like you know you don't you don't get this here are the glimpses you get they should be devastating enough in themselves and you are so stupid and foolish not that he presented <laughs> it but like you as the audience were so foolish and so concerned with what was going on over here that you like you neglected or got taste of this but you you can't escape it. not and not stupid i mean i think it's sympathetic to you because Mike White is himself a white middle-aged man, but like he spends like half the year um, in Hawaii. So like he yes. is the, 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 I mean the, those rich white people, that's him. Yeah. And there's some of it, there's some of it overall, like while it's a, a criticism and an indictment, I think there's a, uh, there's also like the perspective of, Hey, this impacts you too, as the oppressor. Like that's the, the relationship overall is bad for all parties involved and he shows that too i don't think he goes out of his way to be like oh i'm gonna wallow in the fact that it's so miserable for the oppressor right but it's like this is a damaging two-way thing and that's why you should be concerned and so to me it wasn't a problem that that was omitted because that wasn't this this story right but there's a separate thing to talk about well do those stories get to get told and do they get to be on hbo and that's a whole other problem right but I think for this one that didn't bother me. Can I bring up the fact that I was, or are we are we still on that? If no, Anthony, go ahead. Have more to add. I just, I, I was obsessed with the score. Yeah, the score is good. So good and so weird and like so uncomfortable. Like just added so many layers. I feel like to every single plot line, and it, they did a really good job. I think of like having this um motif right of this like kind of central piece of the score this like theme music and then like having individual themes for other plot lines like particularly with quinn and i had to watch the last episode that i watched 
with subtitles because there was a lot happening in the house, which I don't normally like to do, but I needed to. I actually like write in the difference in the music. <laughs> so it like became even more apparent to me how different it was. And um, so it'd be like ominous music plays. Yeah, I just loved it. I, I like, remarked maybe twice per episode. It's like the score. Like it just, there was something about it that added so much. Sometimes they can be like neutral. And sometimes they can be bad and sometimes they can be really good. I thought this was like one of the best in terms of like pairing it with the content scores that I think I've heard in a really long time. Yeah, it was tense and anxious and everything all at once. And I think it really reminded me of something. So I don't know this composer's full history, but I feel like I must have seen something that he had done previously because I was like, oh, I remember this. It feels very claustrophobic and in a good way, but... Cristobal Tapia de Vier is his name. And he used to have... He's a, he was a Canadian pop artist. <laughs> he had an electro-pop group called One Ton, whose single Wait. Super Sex World played on the airwaves of much music and Musique Plus. <laughs> Musique Plus. In Quebec, the composer. composer of the score? Yeah. Yes. Was a Canadian pop artist? Yeah. Wow. Not like a very successful Canadian pop artist, but he technically was a Canadian pop artist, yeah. I loved the score. I thought it was it was really interesting, and like you said, it, it also just ramped up the tension a lot. Like even beyond the score, I think it it is just. I mean, part of this is some people told me because they know that I have a lot of trouble watching like embarrassment comedy, like social like confrontation or passive aggressive comedy, like cringe comedy, all that stuff. Like kills me um i i watched like the movie eighth grade with my shirt over my eyes because it was so agonizing i haven't been able to i can't imagine and um this was so this was my my kryptonite and i i mean i loved it and i was totally addicted by the end of the last few episodes i was so hooked that like i had to keep going but there were scenes that were so painful that normally I just turn my phone off when I'm watching any kind of scripted shows. But I had to like be on my phone because I couldn't look at what was happening on the screen because I was so stressed out. Um, at one point, I just shout- started shouting, no, 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 at my TV. At another, I was massaging my eyebrows because I was so stressed out. And at another point, I completely reflexively... And involuntarily, and not sincerely, but like it came from the heart, I said, I wish I was dead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. No, I'm like more comfortable with the uncomfortable humor. I remember when BJ Novak was at uh, Disrupt, I walked up to him and I was like, I'm obsessed with The Office. Like, I love it so much. It's like, it's like comfort food. Like I... I watch it to go to bed and he was like discomfort as comfort food and I was like yes like I I eat that stuff up um and even for me there were certain moments in this where I was like oh like just it it gets really rough um I also think like we have to comment on the fact that the cast was the cast right like I mean it's crazy cast insane and also I have to note that, like, I love watching Jennifer Coolidge in the role of Tanya um, (laughs) because it's so different, I feel like, from a lot of what we've seen her in. There was something, like, really fragile about Tanya and really awkward. And I feel like Jennifer Coolidge always plays these kind of, like, over-the-top 
confident without having earned it roles almost right and um i thought it was really funny and nice and even in fact like when we started the episode my girlfriend doesn't watch as much tv and movies as i do and she was like is this woman a really bad actress? And I was like, no. (laughs) She's nailing whatever weird role they put her in. And I don't know. I thought it was delightful. And and, I mean, the the whole cast is fantastic, to be honest. Um, But I particularly like Jennifer Coolidge's performance. Yeah, I thought she was really good. I think um, uh, Armand, I loved him, the actor. I don't know. Marie Armand Bartlett. and Belinda felt like the two most relatable or lovable, likable characters in the show to me. Well, and they're the kind of the two main staff member characters. Yeah, which I yeah. guess it was like meant to feel that way, right? Like yes. even with their own kind of flaws. I think actually Belinda is almost flawless, right? Except for maybe like allowing herself to get excited about something that maybe she shouldn't have but Armand is, has plenty of flaws and is still oh, yeah. an incredibly likable character um, yeah but he, he I think he skirts the so he's an interesting character in that he's like he's a white man but he's also gay and he's also in the sort of like lower house but I think he kind of like bridges it and skirts both. So I think his character reflects that. Like in general, I feel like that is the dividing line between people who are or are up available, I guess, for criticism or whatever. And people who, like you're right. Belinda doesn't do anything wrong. Like caring about something is not like or or having the having the misperception that like something is going to go well is not a character flaw right so like i feel like that's and he's the he's the sort of nexus point of like where it crosses over but it yeah i mean that's the one part if i'm trying to paint it as like a really neat sort of like broad stroke social commentary then that's the part armand is the kind of like but he's also designed specifically to give the same commentary i think that we would right like he the opening episode he's sitting there like you're just meant to be an interchangeable generic servant rich kids and we're the mean mommy right like there are a lot of things that he says that are very like realistic where you truly relate to Mm -hmm. to a lot of what he's saying but he's still out of touch right like he still lacks the ability to kind of like like he still doesn't understand the world, but he has enough of a realization to like realize the gap because I, and like mainly that's like to do with, it's not really a spoiler cause it's like first episode, but the subplot with Lani and I'll just leave, leave it there. Right. But like, that's where you kind of see like, Oh yeah, he still, he still has this blindness for the people who are not, in a position of power, but then he's close enough to it that he can kind of realize that that's a flaw at some point later on. Whereas I don't think anybody else can. Well, I think it also speaks to, I mean, he talks about this uh, later in the show, I think even in the final episode, but this isn't like really a spoiler, but at one point he tells one of his like employees, he says, Oh, 
like all these fuckers exploit me and then I exploit you. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. He does explicitly say it. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, there is a little bit of a, just a stark haves and haves not divide, but it's also about the idea that there's all these different layers, but like there's levels of exploitation that just all flow, you know, it's like the shit flowing downhill essentially. Um, yeah. And I think that, I mean, I think the other trap that the show does a good job of avoiding is sometimes if you are somebody with privilege and you write about people who don't have it, there's a temptation to portray them as saints. And, and in a way, that's just as condescending, right? Is to basically yeah. say like, oh, like all these like beautiful, innocent, poor people or whatever, as opposed to being like, no, like actually they're just as complex and in some ways fucked up as we are. They just don't have the resources to act on that in the same yeah. way and they and they don't expo- they don't have the resources to exploit other people to their advantage in the same way but they can still make bad decisions they can still be selfish and and i think we see all of that in the course of the show which yeah, doesn't change anything that, that jordan said that certainly the the staff characters are far more sympathetic than the the tourist characters as is probably true in real life and then even within the um the tourists there are the ones who um you know have less privilege i mean most notably uh rachel the alexandra daddario character who has married into a really rich family and is sort of struggling with her you know what that means for her career for her life i mean obviously that probably struck a little closer at home for us too because she's also a a journalist who's who's asking questions about what where her career goes from there and what her life is going to be like i mean marrying this dude who is just Man, talk about if we're talking, yeah, if we're talking about sympathetic characters, he's, he's the on a whole other yeah, side that of the spectrum. It's easy to do worst character, and just <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. I felt like every single line out of his mouth, I was just like, oh, fucking twat, terrible. Yeah. He's really despicable. Um, yeah, but I really love, I mean, the the. The Rachel character is a good one because it is a kind of kind of a like. It's a it's a bit of a roller coaster ride of like oh yeah like oh that is sympathetic and then also like oh yeah but I mean that's kind of shitty too yeah it's shitty of you to think that way and then I feel like they do a really good job of getting you eventually on side and then they do a really good job of deflating it pretty like kind of like a throwaway deflation of it and again we'll save that for spoilers but i thought it was just amazing the way that they did it uh eventually in the i don't show. know what ends up happening to rachel but i definitely went like oscillated in the episodes that i've seen i oscillated back and forth between oh poor girl like please like figure it out or something like i hate that you feel this way to like shut the fuck up god you are whiny you know <laughs> like look around for a minute yeah you know, and I went back and forth constantly in this show. I, I'm interested to hear about how that peaks and valleys like you're talking about, Daryl, because I don't really understand what you mean by that yet. Good, yeah. I don't want to keep it mysterious. Did you guys have like a favorite, like of the, because, okay, so of the storylines we have, we have Belinda and Tanya. We have like kind of Armand versus the world, although you might lop Armand in with our two other storylines, which is the family vacation from the, whatever she is, the Google CEO and uh, Shane and Rachel, the newlyweds. 
Did you guys, of those kind of like four-ish plot lines, did you have one that like, you're like, oh yeah, back to this? Or no? No, because they were all agonizing <laughs> in different ways. I mean, they're all well done, but I didn't, it was never like, I think there are other stories where you're like, oh, this one's kind of tedious or hard to watch, and this one's really just fun and entertaining. But all of them are well done while also being really agonizing. I mean, maybe one ex- slight exception is um, in the family, there's this character, Mark, who is played by Steve Zahn. Yeah. And he's going through this crisis um, initially because he's, he thinks he might have cancer. And um, and you also get to see him, like, the uh, his, his anatomy in, in, in Close to You, which is a pretty... Uh, surprising moment. I had fully blocked episode. that but, out. So uh, thanks for bringing that back. Top of mind, <laughs> appreciate that. But other than that one shot, I found that like his scenes felt relatively low stakes and and not too cringy. Maybe because they're just cringy in a way that is just my no, life. They're very <laughs> cringy. <laughs> Recognizing all the traps of masculinity, but like you know, just being like, yeah, that's just life now. Is that you just realize that masculinity is terrible but you have nothing to replace it so you just sort of sit around and bitch about it and that that's the steve zahn character i thought he did a great job i was really surprised because i wasn't expecting i I mean it's been a long time since i've seen steve Steve zahn and this was a different mode from everything i've ever seen him in previously which is i think just basically a stoned guy who's like around but like i thought i thought he did great i thought he was he, I was like, this is like a Bill Paxton type thing, or Bill Pullman, one of the two, both of them. I don't know, but like, <laughs> kind of the same. I don't know who either of yeah, those people. But he was are. doing a great different job. Generations it was before my time. You know, the tornado movie, Twister. Twister. Yeah, I think I saw that once as a one child. One of them was in, in Twister. Aliens. Bill Paxton is the one who's shouting, "Game over, man! Game over!" <laughs> references. So, anyways, I thought Steve Zahn did a great job too, and I actually felt like so much despair like it maybe wasn't as cringy in a like haha way but it was like his life right and like his need for respect but to not have any and kind of just be fully resigned and and give up and and (laughs) essentially choose honesty as a way of giving up almost like there was a lot of sadness i actually felt really sad every time that he was on screen and kind of going through anything minus the cancer scare because the shock and awe of those it wasn't one shot now that you brought it up i remember it was two because i remember i looked away (laughs) and i looked back and they they cut cut back. back to it they forced it they forced us to see it it's true um yeah i mean i i i think because ultimately he he gives one speech in particular that does a lot of work to unravel a lot of the sympathy that you perhaps gained for him, like later in the show, where you're like, oh, I think you drew the wrong conclusions from your experience. But uh, kind of to Anthony's point, it is kind of like a thing of like, there is there is sympathy in that you're like, what do you do with this? what do you do with modern masculinity i guess like what do you do with the problem of having grown up one way and like absorbed a lot of kind of like cultural pressure to display masculinity in one way and then have that be kind of like 
not the way that it should be displayed uh, in a modern context. But this speech is just like, oh boy. It, and it it's good in that it's delivered exactly the way that you see people deliver it all the time on like social media and in like right-leaning discourse or whatever. But it's... Uh, is this the last then... episode? Because I feel like he has given a I don't speech think so. at one point I... that I was like, where are you going, bro? But It was just at a dinner, oh, yeah. but I don't know. Yeah, this has been quoted. I, I, It's a minor spoiler, but he gives a speech that's basically just like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? Should I just like give all my money away? Like, you know, should, like, how, I'm, how, like how, how much am I supposed to give to like, or, or how, you know, like... We, if we acknowledge that I'm bad, like what what comes next? Um, yeah. In this way, that's very like whiny and self defensive. Yeah. And yeah. but like you've heard from lots of people. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know for a fact that what maybe brought the most terror to me and tension was any time those two teenage girls were doing anything. I was they like, were great. you menaces to society. I mean. There's nothing that strikes more terror than than a. I, were they teenagers? They felt like teenagers, right? Like college freshmen, right? Like yeah. Eighteen, nineteen years. Yeah, maybe college. But what you're co- yeah. capable of at that age, the level of of selfishness and kind of just like willingness to hurt others is. Yeah, their cynicism. I mean, particularly the the actual daughter, not the. So the friend too, but not so much the friend, but like they had a cynicism that was like of just a super deep and virulent kind of nepotism that expressed itself in a, in like a neoliberal concern that was just awesome, but biting and horrifying at the same time. Good words. Right. And I like that. I'm (laughs) the biggest ones. Good job. (laughs) Again, like another trap that sometimes can happen is when we make a satire where there's somebody who has sort of ostensibly liberal leftist uh, beliefs and we see how like personally they don't live up to that at all. Um, It's easy to sort of dismiss those beliefs. But like one of the things the show does is I think it is totally on the side of their politics. This is like, yeah, like everything they're saying is right, right, but also they're shitty people. And both of those things are true. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Okay, well, why don't you guys go to spoilers and I'll dip on out of here. And Okay. Uh, it's getting heavy, Jordan, but you you got to watch I'm the last episode. Any final thoughts, Jordan? I mean, watch before? it for sure. Enjoy the score. Turn it all the way up and um buckle up for and then turn it down. Yeah, when buckle you get up too for some discomfort. The yeah, the score will will definitely aid in the in the tension. Um but yeah, enjoy. Talk to you later, Jordan. Um, everyone listening, if you have not watched the entire first season of The White Lotus, you should stop listening now. Um, yeah, so let's talk about, I guess, the big one, or the, the one that we teased at the beginning, which is the, the fact that Armand is the one who dies. He Yeah, which is so sad, because so good. <laughs> also, I love that his name is Murray, which is basically everyone's name from Australia and uh, New, New Zealand, Zealand, in my yeah. understanding. But yeah. <laughs> Like the actor's name is Murray. Yeah. It it is. It's interesting because I feel like the that 
I assumed for the whole final episode that either Armand or maybe um, Quinn, who's the teenage son, I was like, these are like the two characters who who might die. Um, but yes. I was betting on Armand, and um, Quinn was my other, yeah, possible, yeah, yeah. And he just has, and Armand just has this um, great kind of, I mean, really sad, actually, like very even beyond the fact that he dies, which is very sad. But the rest of his arc is very is also like sad because it's this guy who has this hard-earned sobriety and then falls off the wagon and kind of just spins out of control and then has this brief moment of, of kind of glory where he just is like fuck everyone i'm gonna do what i want which uh climaxes with him shitting in the suitcase of the most loathsome character shane yeah and uh but then shane comes back into his room as it's happening um and partly because he is on alert because of this theft that happened earlier in the show, he picks up a knife and I expected like a big confrontation, but instead like basically they just bump into each other and Shane just automatically stabs Armand and kills him. Yeah, that was rough, but it was a good, I thought it was a really good scene. I thought it was really well done. And then also he does it and then like looks him in the eyes and then apologizes. And it seems like the only genuine, like sympathetic moment for that character we've had the entire show. It's the only time where you're like, I think he's actually a Paul. Like he actually means it for once that he's sorry, but it's so weird. Cause it's like, I'm sorry. I killed you. <laughs> <basically> <laughs> <what> <laughs> right. Right. And he's not like, very sorry he's just like genuinely sorry like uh, the way that one of us would be sorry if we like accidentally knocked over somebody's grocery cart or i don't know like something like minor on a daily basis but it's the only time he seems to have expressed any genuine regret um and then armand also like stumbles into the 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 toker tub or whatever which was great because that was like the whole sticking point of like why they wanted this suite versus it was the only difference between the suite and the other suite that he's been complaining about the whole time. But he dies in there and he smiles <laughs> before, like he's satisfied before he goes, which I thought was great too. Cause he did. Yeah. He went out on a high note, I guess he did a whole bunch of ketamine with some hot young men and then shit in somebody's suitcase. And yeah, it's a good way to go. And got an apology, <laughs> which maybe is the more important thing. <laughs> the thing, I mean, obviously murdering someone is the thing that Shane does that has the worst consequences. But yeah, but there are almost none. Right. For um, him. I mean, well, yeah, that has the worst consequences for the other person. Yeah, um, he's apologized to and then allowed to fly home. Yeah. But he's actually more sympathetic i think in that scene than in a lot of other scenes where he's just like pure asshole yes um and with no remorse whatsoever whereas here like yeah i would not be the kind of person who picks a knife up and like tries to find the intruder in my room i would be the one who like runs as quickly as possible and is like i gotta get the fuck out of here i gotta get security right um but like you know it's not insane or unreasonable for him to be like oh somebody's in my room or at least certainly in another movie, like to have a guy pick up a knife. Oh yeah, not at all. No, it, room. It's totally you know, it's, it, it, it's hard to blame him for that instance. Like it's a legitimate, it would be a legitimate self-defense case, which I think is what they kind of like imply right. happens to him. But there should have been more consequences, but yes. fundamentally it seems like self, or at least perceived self-defense. 
Yeah. A guy yeah. broke into his room. And I think they uh, intentionally kind of like play up how few consequences they are. Like they have the scene where the police people are kind of like saying, oh, like, oh, thanks for your help. And they shake his hand and stuff like near the entrance. There's no audio, but that's the implied conversation. It's right. very like, okay, well, sorry to bother you. Like, thanks again and see you later. And he's sort of handed off to the new manager who's like kind of like differential, right? But um, yeah, and it's that culminates his arc, right? Which is essentially like, yes, money can buy you literally everything. It's, and uh, I mean, that isn't actually the culmination. The culmination is right. his wife reconciles with him at the airport, right? Like, there was an amazing scene before that where Rachel, his wife, uh, confronts him. I mean, multiple confrontations because it's also this awkwardness of that she like says like essentially all but says I'm leaving you, but doesn't quite yes. say it. And also they're like still on this vacation together, so they have and and it like took all of this courage and like and I've definitely been like that you know in that situation where you're just like I gotta like work myself up to say this incredibly difficult thing. And and I was like so happy for her that she said it. And then she goes back to him at the end. Yeah. So they make a, they're like this, the whole story with her and her kind of like process of self-discovery and realizing that she doesn't want to, which also involves Molly Shannon in a really good sort of like late. Molly Shannon is great. Late series cameo, but um, playing the mother, mother in law, her mother-in-law and his mother. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a kind of a classic cliched story of like somebody realizing like, Oh, like, you know, maybe I'll be more fulfilled if I'm doing my own thing and self-sustaining and self-supporting and all this stuff. And like, do I want to be, and he, they, they do a really good job of making it very clear that she is definitely a trophy. Like the reason that he's into her is her looks. And the reason the mother approves of her is like, she's the prettiest one. Like, yeah, that's Mm -hmm. right. This is like how, what you get for your money basically. Right. And right. She talks about it like a beauty pageant that she won essentially. Like you're the winner. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. But it's also like, and then you, that's like your typical, like you see that story in a lot of things and then you end up being like, okay, this is very sympathetic. And like, I sympathize with this character who built up with this personal backbone and then like did the thing, right. Which she ends up doing and took a lot, clearly took a lot of emotional energy out of her. But then they pop the bloom by having her like call Belinda, like request this, like this, like deep, like, and Belinda's over her shit because she's had her own personal stuff to go through right but she just expresses it so well like she listens to this complaint and the complaint of the other woman is i don't know what to do whether to go and be like and determine my own fate or like stay in the lap of luxury for the rest of my life or at least until we split up or whatever as essentially a kept person and the other woman is just like it's so far outside of what she could even like she's just over it and does not have any time for the thing and the and that's like what you should that was that is what if you look at the thing on the surface for 90 percent of the people in the world like that is what this the response should Mm be right and but we never get that you never get that in a rom-com or in any other situation where you might encounter the same storyline right so i think that was the greatest thing of like just get the fuck over yourself. Like, who gives a shit what you're doing? Not said as harshly, but just like, I'm out. Like, she just leaves, yeah. right? But like... Right. And that you recognize why Belinda... It's not like the kindest or best thing Belinda could do in that moment, but that she's just at a point um, where she's oh, like... Oh, it's not for the other person's benefit at all. It's yeah. it's a totally selfish act, which is great. She's just like, I can't. I can't do it. Yeah. Goodbye. 
Um, yeah, but it. So. I you know it, it was the thing where you and that like all the moments where you have these revelations with the characters or you think they've achieved something are all kind of like deflated in that way to make them clownish and silly and also like like it's you realize that they're still operating within the tracks that exist and like they didn't do anything significant to change even the kid who runs away to hawaii you're like oh shit this rich fucking kid got everything he ever wanted all he did was complain the whole time about like not having his nintendo switch like and he got all that shit that he wanted and then he just decided he wanted something else which was essentially to appropriate hawaiian culture and then he got that too because who can deny them anything right and that's kind of like (laughs) i i viewed his storyline more sympathetically in the sense that um again within the on the curve of like all these rich people are terrible but um he and he, in particular, is sort of obsessed with just all his devices um, in, in a very recognizable way. But, yeah. like, I felt like there are definitely multiple scenes where you see that, yeah, he is very socially awkward and would rather just spend all his time on his phone. But, like, especially with his dad, there's this effort he makes to be present and to kind of be like, oh, okay, dad. Like, and, you know, he's not excited about it, but he's, like, trying to be sympathetic and, like give people what they want and that like the connection he makes with the the natives who are on this boat feels very genuine. I mean, maybe I, we don't see that much of it, but like, mm-hmm. you know, that, that it comes from this place of like genuine curiosity and that the interaction is on their terms, not on his, but it is. And, and Mike White is, has admitted this in interviews. He's just like, that's the one storyline where it's a fantasy. The idea that he runs away and goes and joins them. It's, it's a fantasy and it's a way to sort of end it in a way that doesn't feel quite as terrible as everything else but um yeah to me it still felt terrible because it just felt like someone was like this is what i want and then i get it and i don't think and to me it didn't feel like um on the terms of the the people that he was interacting with i guess it's another part of like we don't get their story but it was just kind of like like i don't know it just seemed like another kind of like mechanism of oppression that was set up like the whole thing to me and maybe this is ascribing too much to mike white but it was just all about relationships of oppression and like how much damage it does to both oppressor and oppressed and how those impacts like reverberate up and down this thing and it's like extremely unhealthy and depressing and there was no real I mean, the sad, the worst one of all was the one of the, like the woman who, or the girl who gets Kai like arrested for the crime or whatever, and you don't even see his outcome. But I think that's the point too, because they've discarded it. Like eventually, like she gets, she's impacted in the moment, but then she kind of discards it and moves back to like her artifice world or whatever, where she's just kind of a. And she's an accessory to the other one. Like, I'm not, not, not an accessory and like accessory to a crime, but she's like the other teen girl's accessory, essentially. And then she kind of like returns to that world in another like power relationship uh, imbalance. It was all power relationships and like just like, I don't know, brought back a lot of memories of school. That's all social justice school and. Uh, pedagogy of the oppressed by uh what's his name paolo anyways go read that book it's really good let me find the title so that that, that can be in here paulo Freire, the pedagogy of the oppressed it's a really good book if you want to learn about 
imbalance in power relationships. He's he's doing it specifically for the context of education, but it's um, it's still. I mean, it was the way that I learned about all of this stuff that is essentially, I think, just Marxist. But like, it's all it's this to me like screamed that out. But I mean, maybe like it's possible that Mike White was just being like, I don't know, like this is kind of shitty and whatever, but kind of funny and. Kind of, but to me, like no nobody. It's weird in that all the main characters are kind of by the end for me dismissible like you're not rooting for or going you know any of them like they're all objectionable people and then the takeaway is like almost like there's nothing you can do or the thing that you have to do is essentially it's like exit the situation like that's kind of i don't know like nobody really gets out of it so it's a it's a tough takeaway to me i really enjoyed it but my my conclusion was very depressing it was like a very heavy cynicism out of this i guess like i i agree that i mean i think that those issues are exactly what the show is about and and that's sort of like baked into it i i don't necessarily i wasn't maybe quite as brought down by the ending i mean i think that there there is a lot of darkness there and a lot of cynicism there like realistic cynicism um but i think also like there's if any if there's more like a sense of like resignation like it's just uh not that like these are all dismissible people but yes they're all terrible in their own ways and these systems you know both in some cases make them oppressed and then also oppress others mm-hmm. um but that but you know that's also like who we are and that's like um you know it, it, it's i don't know that there's like one takeaway it's more like there's just here's like a glimpse of, of how this works in this very specific ecosystem but um, but yeah, so if, if people have watched The White Lotus and they have thoughts of their own they want to share, they can email us, info at originalcontentpodcast.com. That's info at originalcontentpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Original Content. And we always appreciate it when you subscribe um, on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app and leave us a positive review. Um, by the way, we're going to be taking two weeks off because... I am going to go be a terrible tourist uh, travel for two weeks. Yeah, you might get a special episode about Bachelor Nation, but we'll just that, that's a, that's maybe if you're lucky. So hold don't on. expect it, but it'll be a pleasant surprise if it happens. <laughs> <laughs>